Good afternoon. It's good to be, to be back. Let me ask you to turn to the passage that we started looking at in the morning, and that is Galatians and chapter 4, focusing our thoughts in verse 4 and 5. Galatians chapter 4, uh, verse 4 and 5, I will read through. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And the Bible says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let us pray together. Our mighty God and our Father, once again, we return thanks and gratitude unto you for yet another time that you have given unto us, that, Lord, we can gather here in this place at this time, that we may continue to worship you even as we commune with one another and with you. We pray, Almighty God, now as we turn to the study of your word, we look unto you, that, Mighty God, it may please you to grant us the grace that we need, that, Lord, our efforts in understanding your word this afternoon may not be in any way in vain, but that you may guide us and lead us through the power of your Holy Spirit and speak unto us, teaching us your ways, that, Lord, even as we learn of that which you desire of us and our lives, that we may continue, O oh God, in this whole process of transformation until we are fully conformed into the likeness of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May it please you now to glorify yourself, even through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in the morning... We began a short two-part preaching series simply intended to answer the question, what is the significance of the birth of Christ Jesus into this world? And especially for the many of us who are children uh, of God, we did observe that the, the text we are considering grants us the opportunity to study the coming of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world, and for us to appreciate what that ought to mean unto us. Looking at our text, as we were able to see in the morning, it is clear that the theme, the theme of our text is the commission of the Son by God the Father, a theme that is well captured for us in the second part of verse 4, in which the Apostle Paul declares, God sent forth his Son. God sent forth his Son. In other words, that God charged his Son. God commissioned his Son. God gave a task to his Son, and especially to come in this world and to be able to bring about salvation for mankind, as we will be able to see in a bit. We did say that concerning this theme of the commission of the Son, 
there were four thoughts that we desired to bring out, two of which we dealt with in the morning and two of which we will then finish off this evening. But all of them, all of the four thoughts are as follows. Number one, in the morning we looked at the precision of the commission of the sun. Number two, we looked at the, identific the identification in the commission of the sun. And then this afternoon, we look at the last two, the number three, the goal of the commission of the sun. And then lastly, number four, the outcome of the commission of the sun. So let's make progress then. By then, transitioning and looking at the third thought that we are able to see from the passage that we are studying together, and that is the goal of the commission of the Son. As we have already established, verse 4 declares to us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. But then we pause to ask, to what end? To what end did God send forth his Son? Well, according to the first part of verse 5, we are told that the goal of God commissioning his Son is actually the redemption of man. It is the redemption of man. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in the first part of verse 5. Let me read, beginning with verse 4, and then joining to verse 5. We are told, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, and then listen, the first part of verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. What does Paul mean here? What does he mean here when he declares to us that the goal that God had in mind, the end that God had in mind in sending forth his son to come into the world, it is to redeem those who are under the law. Well, the word translated as redeem in our text actually means to buy back. It means to buy back. It means to ransom. It gives us a picture of of someone who has a property or he has something, and then that something is lost and has desires to have it back. There is a price, there is a cost that is tagged to it that in order that he may have it back, he needs to pay that price. He needs to pay that cost so that then he can have it back. And that's the picture that the Apostle Paul is giving us here. This word used figuratively means to deliver it means to rescue and to deliver or rescue actually from loss or danger. And that's the goal that God had in mind. That when he sent forth his son, to what end? It was so that as the son comes and as he gives his life, his life as a ransom for many, that mankind may be brought back to God, that mankind may be ransomed, that mankind may be delivered that mankind may be redeemed. In our text, the Apostle Paul actually gives us two details about this redemption, two details that he provides for us concerning this redemption. Notice with me, number one, the first detail, it is the object of redemption. 
the object of redemption. In other words, that as the Lord Jesus Christ comes, and as he comes to redeem, who is actually the recipient? On whom is this redemption intended? Well, the Apostle Paul answers, he says, those who were under the law. Those who were under the law. And what the Apostle Paul actually means here is that Christ Jesus came to rescue. Christ Jesus came to deliver men or to deliver man or to deliver humanity who was under the curse of the law. For under the dominion and guidance of the law, man has been convicted of sin and found guilty. Under the dominion and guidance of the law, man has suffered the penalty of breaking the law, which is death. Under the dominion and guidance of the law, man has been convinced, convinced of his own inability to save himself. That yes, as the law educates us, as the law instructs us, the law convinces us, first of all, that we are sinners. The law also further convinces us that in our state of being sinners, there is absolutely nothing that we can do to save ourselves. The law reveals the inability that is in man to save ourselves. But then the law points us to the Savior. Because we are able to see our own sinfulness. We are able to see our own inability. It points us then to our Savior, to Him alone who is able to deliver us. Him who alone is able to save us. He whom alone is able to ransom us. And so we have seen that Concerning this redemption that the Lord Jesus Christ came to accomplish, the object of this redemption, it is actually those who are under the curse of the law, or mankind who is under the curse of the law. But there is another detail that we see. In addition to the object of redemption, we also see the price of redemption. The price of redemption. Christ freeing man from the dominion of the Mosaic law, was at a price. And that price required him actually to substitute himself, to substitute us, to take our place in order that he may suffer and die in our stead and pay the penalty and pay the price in order that we may be saved. It is actually said that Christ... Christ, in freeing us from the Mosaic law, it actually took the price of his vicarious, vicarious death. And by vicarious, it simply means that Jesus Christ substituted. It's the substitutionary death of his suffering. Jesus Christ dying on our behalf. Jesus Christ dying in our stead. Jesus Christ receiving the wrath of God in our stead in order that then us may remain free and reconciled to God. And therefore, the price of redemption was Jesus Christ's own blood. The price of redemption was Jesus Christ's own blood. And this is the testimony that the apostles give us. 
The Apostle Paul in First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, he writes and he says, Oh, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom, he says, whom you have from God. And then he says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. We are not our own, yes, indeed. And the Apostle Paul clearly shows us that we were bought at a price, and that price is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter himself will put it this way. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, Peter will say, Knowing that you were ransomed, and there is our word, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, listen, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so church, we see here that yes, that the goal of this commission of the Son, it is to buy back, it is to rescue, it is to redeem, it is to ransom those who had been under the curse of the law, and then we see that the price, actually, the price that was involved for this redemption to be accomplished is no other than the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But we must move on. Not only have we been able to see the goal of the commission in the Son, but I'd like us to then see our last point, and that is the outcome of the commission of the Son the outcome of the commission of the Son. Here is the question that I would like us to answer here. God, in the fullness, in the fullness of time, sent forth His Son to redeem those who were under the curse of the law. But to what expectation? To what outcome? To what result? What was the outmate? or expected result of God sending forth his son and redeeming man from the curse of the law. In other words, that as the Lord Jesus Christ is sent forth by the Father, and as he comes, and as he identifies with us, he is born of woman and born under the law, and he comes to ransom us, once he has accomplished all this, what is the expected outcome? What is the expected result? What is the final outcome? Well, the Apostle Paul responds in the last part of verse 5. He says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And what does Paul mean here? You will recall that our text is found in the immediate context, chapters 3 and 4 of Galatians, where Paul is explaining the relationship that is there between the law and faith. That we are saved by faith and not by observing the law. That faith has been the means of salvation going right back even into the Old Testament. And Paul in Romans and chapter 4 gives us the example, the example of Abraham who was justified simply on the basis of having believed. 
that in all, in all this, the purpose of the law was not to save us. The purpose of the law was not to bring about our salvation, but the purpose of the law was to instruct us. The purpose of the law was to convince us of our own sinfulness. The purpose of the law was to convince us of our own inability to save ourselves. The purpose of the law then was to point us to him who is able then to save us, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. In order that then when we put our faith, when we look up to him and put our faith in him, that we may be saved. To help us then understand this relationship between faith and the law, Paul in chapter 4 gives us an illustration. And it is an illustration of an hair in his father's household. That as long as this hair is still a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to the guidance and trustees until the time set by his father to inherit what has been left for him. In the mind of Paul, that is exactly the same with us as children of God. And that the time set by God for us to receive salvation had not yet come. We were subjected then to the guardianship and to the trusteeship of the law. But when God's appointed time arrived, we were rescued, we were ransomed, we were saved, we were redeemed from the administratorship of the law in order that we may then have the full rights of inheritance as an adult child in God's household. The NIV actually renders this verse this way. It says that we might receive the full rights of sons. And that, friends, is the concept of adoption. It is the concept of adoption and the privileges that come with it. And we must, we must be reminded that before we become children of God, before we become Christians, we are actually alienated from God. And Paul in Ephesians and uh, chapter 2 actually gives us a picture of what we were before we became Christians, of what we were before we became children of God. Maybe let me ask you to turn to read Ephesians and chapter 2 as the Apostle Paul is writing to remind the Ephesians, to encourage them on the kind of life that they must live now that they are children of God. He begins by first of all reminding them who they were before before becoming children of God, before salvation, before redemption, before being ransomed. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, and, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work. And listen, in the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, listen to this one, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. 
And of course, then verse 4, it begins with that word contrast to show the difference. But being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And of course, that regeneration coming with other blessings that come with it, the fact that we are now adopted into the family of God, and as we are adopted into this family of God, we receive even the full privileges that come with that adoption. It is actually interesting that if you read further about, about what the Apostle Paul writes, this concept of adoption has always been the plan of God. It has always been the plan of God that when he looked at mankind, even before he created mankind, he so desired that he would bring mankind reconciled to himself, adopted as sons. Again, if I read for you Ephesians and chapter 1, Ephesians and chapter 1, uh, beginning to read in verse 3, as the Apostle Paul always does as he is writing, after he has identified himself as the author and introduced the audience that he is writing to and given a greeting, he will either burst into a praise or a prayer. In this particular instance in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul bursts into a praise, and this is what he declares in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Beginning from verse 4, Paul will then give us a list, an inventory of those spiritual blessings that we enjoy in Christ Jesus. And guess what? One of those privileges, one of those blessings that we enjoy in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is adoption. It is adoption. Verse 4 up to verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, Even as he chose us, there is election, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Then listen to verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in, in the beloved. Well, the point that I'm simply making here is that when we think about the outcome of Jesus Christ coming into the world, when we think about the outcome of the commission of the Son, that that expected ultimate result that God desired it is actually that we may be adopted, that we may receive adoption as sons of God. You know, I'd like us to see here that one of the truths that is revealed is that it is, it is not everyone that is born a child or a son of God. And I think you've heard it commonly spoken on the streets. Everyone will just point at another and say, oh yeah, yeah, you are also a child of God. I'm also a child of God. But I'd like us to see here that when we are born, we are born in sin. We are born as, as, as a people that, de that deserve 
for the, God, for, for the wrath of God to fall on us, we, we are born as people who are separated from God, but it is only through when this process of salvation is accomplished in our lives that then there is this process of adoption that happens, that God then receives us to himself as his children and as his uh, sons. In Romans and chapter 8, verse 15 to 17, the Apostle Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, listen, of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ Jesus, provided with him, uh, provided we suffer, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. Just a few verses after our text in Galatians chapter 4, uh, verse 6 and uh, verse 6 and, and 7. This is what the Apostle Paul says, and because, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying again, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Well, the Apostle Paul has shown us the commission of the Son, the sending forth of the Son into the world, and he has simply declared to us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. To what end? To redeem those who were under the law, and to what expected outcome? so that we might receive adoption as sons. But we must draw, we must come to a conclusion, and as we conclude, just two lessons I would like us to draw here. Just two lessons I would like us to draw here. Lesson number one, what should this Christmas season remind us of? That as we as we, rem as, as we go through this festive season, as we go through this time of Christmas, what should it remind us of? Well, it must remind us of the coming of God's Son into the world and that there are two particular things, two particular things that we must remember about the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Number one, that in his coming, Christ rescued you and I from the guardianship and trusteeship of the law. That under this trust, trust, trusteeship, we were under the curse of the law. We were simply headed for hell. We were simply held captive in the shackles of Satan, in the shackles of death, and in the shackles of sin. Yes, we were a people who lived having broken the law of God. And clearly every one of us, even in here, if we honestly answer the question, 
none of us can actually say that we are able to obey the law 100% from A to Z, that we are able to obey the law from one, from the first to the tenth. Every one of us stands guilty before God. And we ought to be judged. We ought to be condemned to bear the curse and punishment of the law. But the good news in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news is that as Jesus Christ came, and as he identified with us, Jesus Christ took our place. As we were able to see in the morning, there was that great exchange that happened. Jesus Christ takes upon himself the sin of the world, and Jesus Christ gives as a gift his righteousness. He pays with his blood. He pays with his life in order that then our sins may be atoned that the wrath of God may be appeased, that the wrath, the wrath of God may be calmed down, that you and I then who respond in faith, that we may be reconciled to God, because that which stood as a barrier between us and God has been taken away by the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the, the, the second particular thing to remember about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is that as a result of this redemption, we have been given the full rights of inheritance in the family of God. And I think we did read a passage that tells us here that because we are children of God, we are then heirs, and if we are heirs, we are heirs alongside the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ being the firstborn in this family of God, firstborn not in terms of origin, but in terms of prominence, that that which is rightfully his to inherit because we come into the kingdom of God, into the family of God as brothers and sisters to the Lord Jesus Christ, we also inherit along with him. We have been put among the children of God and have been given a place in the heavenly family with full rights of inheritance. Remember Romans 8 and verse 17, Paul actually declares and says, if children then hairs, and hairs of God, Pharaoh hairs with Christ Jesus. What a privilege we enjoy in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a delight that we ought to carry as we walk along and as we do everything that we do here on earth, recognizing that we have been adopted into the family of God. That we are kings, that we are princes, we are priests in this kingdom of God. What a special status given to us all because of what the Lord Jesus Christ was able to accomplish. Because when he came... The goal was not only to redeem mankind, but also to ensure that as mankind is redeemed, that mankind is received into the kingdom, adopted as the Son of God. But lesson number two, and I end with this one, that as adopted children of God, we must live lives that signify the worth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
as adopted children of God, we must live lives that signify the worth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, that in the way that we conduct ourselves, be it at home, be it at our places of work, be it at school, be it with our neighbors in the community, that they must be able to see something different about us. That they must be able to, they must be able to see that these are people who have received the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this gospel has actually done something in their lives. It has actually done something in their lives. That change that has happened, and we must be able to show it even in the way that we live. That though we receive salvation freely, though we receive salvation freely, yet we must always be reminded that this salvation came at a price. <clears throat> it came at a price, and that price... It costed God the Father, His only Son, and it costed God the Son, His blood, His life, for you and me to be redeemed, for you and me to be reconciled to God. And therefore, as we live, as we conduct ourselves, as we carry ourselves, we must be able to show that we are grateful for what God has done and be able to live lives that God would desire. After all, as the Apostle Paul would make it a point, that the life that you live is not your own. It is Jesus Christ's life. Because as, as far as the law is concerned, you and me are dead. You and me are dead. This life that we live, we owe it to Christ. And must, we must be able to show it even in the way that we live. I borrow the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1 and verse 27. The Apostle Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear you, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving side by side, and especially in times like today, when we hear weird pronouncements that are being made by the so-called leaders of the church. Well, the Apostle Paul has shown us when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Amen.